So we've been going through a, a mini-series, kind of a little mini-series here in the book of Colossians. We talked about uh, biblical marriage at first. We talked about the biblical complementarian view of husbands and wives and that they were equal before God but had different roles. And then we went into biblical family. We discussed the, the, the family relationship, including the obedience of children and the leadership of parents, especially fathers. Well, today we're going to continue and see what the Bible has to say about another earthly relationship. You have a lot of different relationships on earth, right? A lot of different relationships there. And one that is very common to a lot of us is, is biblical work. And as we talk about this, I, I pray that, that even children can listen to this because we work in the home, uh, you know, even stay-at-home moms. Like, there, there still is a, a work environment that we work in. Uh, whatever we do, there's always a, a, an application here, so I pray that you understand that. Uh, and we're going to apply this more so to, like, the workplace if you're working in it. But, but just know that all of these principles that are going to be talked about here can be applied to all of our lives and, frankly, a lot of our relationships that we have. Um, so one thing we got to know at first before we get talking about work is that work is not the curse. A lot of people have this un- misunderstanding that, that, you know, there was the fall of man uh, in Genesis 3 and a curse fell upon man and they had to work. Right, man and woman had to work at that point. There was, and that is not the case. God had actually given work to man as a blessing. So Adam and Eve were to have dominion over the earth and to fill it and multiply it. And so there was already work uh, that was already done before sin entered. So work is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. The problem about the fall is it made work hard. So now the job became a lot harder to do. Uh, there were, now, now there were relational issues with work. Anybody get a name in there? You ever, ever had a relational issue at work? So there's relational issues at work, and then there's practical issues at work. Now there were thorn and thistles that kind of grew up and made you know, farming harder, but now we can see that there are computer viruses. There are malfunctions. There are all kinds of things that are a result of the fall, the sin of man that makes work hard. Uh, you know, no matter how it is, we have animals that may not listen the way they're supposed to. You know, we have, you know there's all these things that made it hard, but work itself is not the curse. And so we're going to learn about what the Bible says about working in a world that is marred by sin and affected by sin. So join me as we read Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so before we pray, before we get into this message, I want to really start with a, a preface here. So obviously we want to apply this scripture practically to our lives. And so Praise God we don't have slavery in the U.S. Uh, so when we look at this, we see this word bondservant, and that word means slave. And when we, see, when we hear that, it really brings about a lot of anxiety in an American, right? We, we, we've heard about slavery. We've heard about how bad it is. We've fought against it as a nation. But we have to know that no matter what your skin color is, th- that word will kind of bring some preconceived ideas. We'll bring some ideas there. It reminds us of the moral failings of our churches in the past, or the moral failings of our nation and our societies that we've seen. So we come to a scripture like this, we, we have to understand it in its context at first and foremost, to understand what it really is saying here. 
and, and, and slavery at this point, uh, again, it's different than American slavery, but it still was a form of, of ownership-ish. Uh, sometimes there were certain uh, financial relationships, different things like that, so it's a little different in some areas, depending on where you're looking at, but it's been practiced before the Romans. Uh, it's been practiced after the Romans, all the way to even Amer- early American history. And so as we apply this as an understanding of, of biblical work, may we understand what it really meant in context there. But because of the context here, I feel like culturally we have to talk about a couple of things. In a society that kind of tries to construe the Bible in a bad way, in a bad light, you come to a scripture like this and you're going to have a lot of liberal theologians that are going to try to be like, oh, uh, the scripture says it's cool to have slaves. Like, you know, like, and, and, and frankly, th- there, were, there were those that were pr- probably more unbelievers that actually twisted scripture to say these things. But number one, Scripture does not condone slavery. It does not approve of slavery. And theologian Wayne Grudem said this, uh, and I thought it, thought it was answered it better than anyone. Um, the Bible does not approve or command slavery any more than it approves or commands persecution of Christians. When the author of Hebrews commends his readers by saying, "You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one," in Hebrews ten thirty four. That does not mean the Bible supports the plundering of Christians' property or that it commands theft. It only means that if Christians have their property taken through persecution, they should still rejoice because of their heavenly treasure, which cannot be stolen. Similarly, when the Bible tells slaves to be submissive to their masters, it does not mean that the Bible supports or commands slavery, but only that it tells people that are slaves how they should respond. And number two, although slavery is not directly attacked by Scripture, the seeds of overthrowing slavery are listed throughout Scripture. It's very clear that God is not a God of slavery in this way. And we see that so biblical, biblical critics, those who would stand against the Bible, would be correct in saying that the Bible does not come outright and say, thou shalt not have a slave. This is because the Bible is focused on what? Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel. Um, the, 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 as the gospel would spread and righteousness would abound, as, as souls would be changed for Christ, slavery would eventually become abolished. And we see this with William Wilberforce in the UK. We see this with Abraham Lincoln here who used Christian values, Christian morality, Christian teachings to abolish slavery. And, and the scriptures clearly undermine the idea of slavery throughout, the, throughout its pages. So we see verses on equality. We see verses on love and sacrifices. We see ver- verses that say the first will be last and the last will be first. And we see, see leaders called to serve, to be servant, humble leaders. And even in our scripture today, we talked about how children were addressed directly in this scripture and why we keep children in our services uh, last week. Well, in the same token, we see bond servants, slaves addressed verbatim here. It doesn't say, masters, go tell your slaves at home. No, these, these bond servants, these slaves were a part and of equal standing with other brothers and sisters in the church. This was a time in which each, there, were, there was no gentile or jew male or female slave or free it was all one everyone was one in christ and everyone was equal uh, in standing with the lord but i think that this scripture and this topic is is the best example that the that this heavily peddled social gospel that we live that we see in a lot of churches today is not how we're supposed to approach the scriptures is not how we're supposed to approach the world with the gospel if we really look at injustice solely and we look at the differences in class or, or racism or we look at these things and that's our focus, we miss the big picture. 
Uh, just like we were talking about this morning in growth group, when we think about these, these horrific school shootings that, that keep, keep occurring, and, and we, we start to focus in on gun control or lack of, or whichever, whichever side of the argument you're on, we still miss the big picture, and the big picture is sin. The big picture is a lack of regenerate men and women. The, the big picture is sin that has entered the world and not been atoned for in those lives. It, the big picture is Satan and demonic forces. It is not about, who, about how many guns there are. It's about who holds them, and it's about what is in their heart. And we have no way to know what's in people's hearts. So there, there's no great way to vet that because some people can look one way but be another. The issue is the heart, and we want to see true regenerate men and women in this world. Yes, we need to, to speak out on behalf of the oppressed. Uh, Micah 6.8 says this very articulately. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But our main concern should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Government laws, protests, manipulation, convincing arguments, uh, political maneuvering, n- none of that changes hearts. You may change a mind for a moment, but then somebody who speaks a little bit more eloquently than you do, somebody that maybe has an extra argument that maybe you didn't think about, can change that mind right back. But it's only Christ that can change your heart. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can have a true heart change, a heart transplant, a heart, a heart, the heart of stone that is taken away, a heart of flesh is, that is placed. And it's only true heart change that's performed by Christ that lasts. So uh, as we get into our message, I pray that we understand uh, the Bible and, and how it approaches this subject and that as we apply it to our lives today that we realize uh, what God's values are, wh- how, how much God loves us and, and, and what he has for us. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, God, I thank you that um, it's inerrant, that it is perfect, that it is righteous, that it is holy. And Lord, as we enter uh, studying these verses and and as we understand them contextually now, and as we take that, and now we apply it to our own lives and today's society. God, I pray that you help to change us from the inside out, God. That you help us to love righteousness, to, to hate injustice, to, to hate sin, and, but to love you. I pray that you, uh, that you just help us to clear our minds of all the cares that we have for this week, or last week, or later on today, or what happened this morning even. And God, I just pray that you help us to, to, to focus on you and you alone. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. So getting on to our message today, we're going to talk about how Christ is honored in the workplace. And number one, Christ is glorified by godly employees. Christ is glorified by godly employees. We're going to read 22 through 24 again. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we've already mentioned and explained this word bond servants. We understand this is another word for slave, and, and Paul will get to admonishing masters here, here very shortly. Uh, obey, but this word here says obey in everything. And do you remember where we heard that before? Obey in everything in this, this section of Scripture right before it. We heard that with children, right? Children obey your parents in, in everything. And so now we see that slaves or, you know, as we're going to apply today, even employees are to obey in everything. And that's a tough command, obey in everything. Like, we don't like to obey in everything. That's just not something we like to do, right? But as we exhorted children as well, we obey in everything 
as long as it obeys Christ, right? So if your employer asks you to do something unethical, you don't obey in that, in that uh, era. But I would say eh, that, that even taking this modern contextual application to the workplace, uh, that, that, that we struggle uh, with this idea. We, we struggle with this authority issue uh, in, in general. And so when we have an employer that tells us to do something, uh, a lot of times we like to rationalize and say, well, we're not going to do it. It's like, well, that's not the best idea. I have a better idea. So we have this me-first humanistic kind of manifesto even uh, that, that kind of says we know how to do this best. And you know what? Like, I don't like the way that affects me. That's going to be more work on me. And I don't care if it's more work on Jim down there. I don't care if it's more work on Joe. Like, I, I want what's best for me, and so I don't like that. And so we, we kind of have developed a culture of, of bucking our authorities uh, at work or, you know, wherever it is. And, and I, I pray that we're not like this. I pray that we, we're, we bring harmony to our workplaces, that we bring a joy to our overseers, our leaders that are over us. Obviously, there is a time to stand up. Obviously, there is a time when something happens at work that's unethical, that it's unrighteous, and our job is to say, no, I'm not doing that. And I, and I pray that we do stand firmly and we give a reason from the Word of God, not because I don't want to do that. That's not a great reason. The only thing that is a great reason is God said this in His Word. It's not okay to do that. So, 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 you know, this is where I'm at. I'm not going to compromise. We need to be like Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, we see uh, that there is an edict from the king that you can only worship the king for this month and the idol that he set up. And so it's like, okay, here's Daniel. What does he do? He's not allowed to, quote, unquote, worship God. What is it? He continues to worship God, and he gets caught doing it. He's thrown into lion's den and gets delivered, right? So we should not compromise our values, no matter what the cost is. And we should do our, but, but yet we should do our best to work in peace. And so you, what you didn't see Daniel do is to stand in the streets and shout, this is a horrible law. You know, you know he, he obeyed Christ. He, he did what he was supposed to do, and at that point, obviously, obeying God, but we know he's looking forward to, to Christ. And so our job is not always to be trying to stir up strife and and work on that. We're, we're, we're to be doing our best to work in peace when possible. Now, we do need to stand up, like we talked about, for injustice. But we see Paul give this, this strong encouragement and admonishment for peace in 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So we should not be intentionally disagreeable. You know, we should do our best to live in peace. We should seek peace through loving God and loving others through the love of God. And we should create an atmosphere around us that is better when we're there than worse. We shouldn't be that person that walks into the room and people are like, ah, oh, not him again, not her again. We need to be somebody that creates an atmosphere that is like, oh, that person is full of the fruit of the Spirit. Even if they don't know who the Holy Spirit really is, they should sense something different about you and be like, man, I really love being around you know, this person, because they exude love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things there are no law, right? Galatians 5, and 23. We should create that type of an atmosphere. And understanding that verse, we can actually, that parallel verse we're talking about also is the church, and we should be that way in our churches as well in its direct context. Moving on in verse 22, we see two ways that we are not to obey. And so what are these two ways that we're not to obey? Uh, it doesn't mean we're not obeying, but, it, but it's, it's two, two ways here. And the first one is eye service. Eye service. So this refers to servants who would only work hard when their master was watching, right? Have you ever seen somebody like that? You know, it's like they're sitting there just like this, and they see their boss come by, and all of a sudden they're like, 
You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're working, they're picking up things, they're Sir, can I do anything else? Is there something else I can do? And as soon as they walk away, they're sitting over there with their hands in their pocket, not doing anything again, right? So, so they're, they're, they're trying to, to get to seat, to, and it's all about themselves. It's not about the boss. It's not about anybody else. It's, not, it's about themselves. They want to either get a reward for what they're doing, or they want to avoid punishment for what they're not doing. And so they want to kind of put on this eye service this, this way. And, and this type of working is a lack of integrity, right? It's a, it's a lack of integrity. Integrity is an integral part of character, and integrity is, is kind of really who you really are. It, it, it's what you're doing or not doing when nobody's watching. So, so it's who you really are inside. So what do you do on your computer at work when nobody's there watching? Are you, you Facebooking, Instagramming? You know, are you looking at other stuff? You know, so so what, are you, what are you doing? Uh, are you dil- or are you diligently working while you're at work? And I understand that sometimes we have downtime, and that's okay. If you have downtime, there's nothing to do, and your employer's cool with you doing uh, outside stuff while you're at work, that's great. It's great to have an employer like that, and, and it's good to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you've been given a task, and your employer thinks that you're working on that task while you're at work, and you're doing something off the clock, that's called stealing. It's thief. It's, it's being a thief, because what you're doing is you're robbing your empl- uh, employer. You told your employer, I'll work eight hours, I'll work 10 hours, I'll work 12 hours, and you'll give me this paycheck. And no matter where you think that paycheck's too high or too low or whatever, that, that's, that's, you've agreed to that wage. You've taken that job. And so now when you say, I'm going to give you eight hours of work, but you're really only given four, you're stealing from your employer. And obviously we see that in the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. Uh, so, so we see that. And I think, I, I realize this is a difficult teaching in our culture because I feel like our culture is kind of glorified slacking at work. It's almost like something we, we're, we're proud of. It's like, yeah, I went to work. I didn't do anything. It was awesome. You know, and it's like we're bragging about the fact that, that we, we got nothing done at our work and we're getting paid for it. Like, is that not right? I mean, have you, how many times have you heard somebody be like, man, you need to get a job there. You know why? You'll do absolutely nothing and you're going to get paid $10 an hour. Like, dude, you s- sign up for that job. And, and we tell kids, yeah, you should take that job. That's a good one. You know, take, take that job where you do absolutely nothing and get paid for it because that's great for your character. That's great for your integrity. That's great for your work ethic is to pick a job where you do absolutely nothing and get paid for it. Like, that's not how we should choose our jobs because we were made to work. We weren't made to slack. We weren't made to, so we are glorifying Christ because God is a God of work. Look out there. He did a lot of work making the earth. It's a lot of work. Now, it wasn't a lot of work for him. He spoke in existence, but still, you know, he's a God of work and he continues to work. He hears all of our prayers at one time. That's work. That's a lot of voices coming up at once. He holds us on the earth. That's work so we don't fly off into space and blow up. So he's always working. God is a God who doesn't have to take a break. He doesn't need a Sabbath. He only took it, gave us a Sabbath because we did. And so we need to be like our Father and glorify him by what we do because we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, what? Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Not for our own glory, not for our own pleasure, not for whatever is easiest on us. It's what is going to bring God the most glory. Next, we get to this phrase, people pleasers. Oh, is that not a loaded word right there? People pleasers. I think we can all think about what that may mean. And, and so whereas the first one was all about myself. It's like, okay, I'm doing it for eye service because I want to get a promotion. I don't want to get fired. You know, I want to be able to you know, kind of scrape by and do the least amount of work possible in order to get my paycheck. It was all inwardly focused. Well, this one is, is still an error. It's just in an error in a different way. This is, I want you to think I'm awesome. So, so I'm going to work really hard so that Chris thinks I'm the man. And so every time Chris is watching me, I'll be like, Chris, do you, do you see how well I did that? Uh, do you, do you see my golf game? Do you, do you see that? You know, like, so everything is about trying to get his approval. 
And, and have you met people like that where it's like they're at work and man, I mean, every single thing, it's like they're, they're just all around the boss and they're always buttering them up and they're always trying to make that person care about them. Now, sometimes there's obviously some eye service things there too where it's like trying to get selfish gain, but some people just really want people to think they're awesome. Like that's their goal. Their goal is that other people think that they're good and that they're really good. And I kind of warn supervisors, overseers, leaders, if, if you're in a workplace, watch out for these people. Because what will happen is these people will, will work their way and their charisma and their desire to please and those kind of things. You'll think that they're a lot better than they are. And, and so all of a sudden you'll start ignoring your better employees because this person is, is, is a people pleaser and they're working their way up. And they may actually, actually do absolutely nothing. They may be completely useless as an employee, but you really like them because they do you know, they, they kind of suck up to you all the time, and you're like, oh, I like that person. They, they, they're really good. So don't let those people kind of work their way in there. And so the, the reason that this is an issue, if, if this is something we struggle with, if we struggle with people pleasing, trying to earn the favor uh, of a certain person or certain persons, what happens is we're going to compromise. So when that employer comes to you and says, your boss that you've really worked hard to, to earn that favor, and yes, we should pray for favor, just as a side note, God is a God who, who's in control of believers and unbelievers. He's sovereign. He's overall. And, and we saw him show favor uh, to people like Nehemiah uh, and, and where pagans are funding the rebuilding of the, of the wall around Jerusalem. So yes, we should pray for that. But that's not our focus. Our focus is to glorify God. But kind of getting back to this, um, we will compromise if our focus is on someone else. So if everything I do is for Chris or for Adam or for Jim or for Kevin or whoever it is or for Lee, if, if everything I do and all of a sudden Jim comes up to me or Adam comes up to me or Chris comes up to me and they say, hey, man, I, th- I really think you need to do this. And I'm like, man, like, I realize that's, that's, not, that's not scriptural. That's not right. That's not holy. That's actually wrong. Well, if my, if my heart is to obey them and to earn their favor, I'm going to be a lot quicker to compromise. And so being a people pleaser is a really dangerous thing because when we care more about what other people think than what God thinks, we're an idolater. We've, we've placed that person in God's path, and now all of a sudden we're like, well, I can't, I got I to do this instead. And so, so it's so dangerous because we should reverentially fear the Lord and obey Him in integrity and righteousness. Moving on to verse 23, we see, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. So we're not working for men. We're not working even for ourselves. We're working for the Lord and unto the Lord. And this word heartily, uh, the Greek here is psyche. Actually, it looks like psyche if you're looking at it in English. And it means from the heart. And actually, this word really means from the soul, that we actually do work from our soul. Because work is another form of worship. We talked about worship a few weeks ago. We talked about how we can sing to the Lord in worship, how, we can, how, how the word is a form of worship, how, uh, how we treat others is a form of worship, and how, here we see how we work is a form of worship. We do work from the soul, even if it's something that doesn't seem like it's that revolutionary, even if it's window cleaning or it's something like that. If we work from the soul, it still glorifies God. God is, is glorified by a clean window when you do it with your heart and your soul and you do it for him when nobody's watching especially. And then moving on to verse 24, we see him kind of continue expounding upon this idea, uh, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul challenged servants to understand that their reward was to come, that we don't work for an imper- or a perishable reward. 
Uh, yes, we do need to have finances to survive. Yes, we need to, to do work in order to be able to pay our bills and do things like that. Th- that's a command from Scripture. I get that. As fathers, we're, we're, to, we're to provide for our family, and, and sometimes in some situations, mothers have to as well, and you know, we're, we're in these situations. But our work isn't just for a perishable reward. Our work is for an imperishable reward. And, and what is that imperishable reward but, but freedom from sin, freedom from the bondage of sin and death, eternal life with Christ? I think we can apply this, this understanding to, to our lives as well because some, some here may be in a difficult job. You may be in a difficult situation where your employer doesn't treat you best. Maybe your family doesn't treat you best. Maybe somewhere else you're just you're underappreciated, you're overworked, you're overlooked, you may be taken advantage of yet you have a reward coming. We don't work for a perishable reward. And that perishable reward would also be like somebody just saying, good job. You know, that's a perishable reward. A man or a woman saying, great job at your work, it's great to get that encouragement, but, but that's not a lasting encouragement. That's not a, something that's going to last forever. What's going to last forever is your heavenly Father seeing what you do. And you're doing it for him, not for somebody else, not looking for the approval of man, but the approval of God. He is the one who, who gives you the, the eternal reward. And that only happens for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so I think this is a great time to remember the gospel. We need to remember the gospel throughout every scripture. But here, this, e- this eternal reward, this inheritance that is imperishable, only comes to those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, this reward does not come from you. And that's why the world holds so hard onto their perishable rewards. That's why the world holds so hard on their money that, and, the, and their fame and their power because it's all they have. But for we who are in Christ, we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, took on our sins, did the great exchange that we sang about earlier, that, 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 that took our sins and gave us his righteousness. But we believe that he rose from the dead three days later and put our faith and trust in him, repented of our sins. Only if you've done those things and he is the Lord of your life, not your own will, but only what he has said, that we can we really truly understand that we have hope that there is an eternal reward, that there is an eternal heaven, that there is eternal life with Christ, only then can we understand how Christ is going to bless us in the future. And even on top of that, there are future rewards for those who are saved, but also continue to allow Christ to work through them after salvation. How, how beautiful is that? So each day we work, remember that you are serving the Lord Christ and not yourself and also not your fellow man. Next, we see that Christ is glorified by godly employers. Christ is glorified by godly employers. Verse 25 and and 1, I'll read it again. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there's some debate on this verse 25, and and whether it it applies to to bond servants, slaves, or it applies to masters. And I would argue that it applies to both and all all the above, uh, everyone, uh, because we just saw this, this talk about this reward, this inheritance that we had, right, eternal life, and now we're talking about, talking about the opposite, that the wrongdoer will be repaid, so now we're talking about hell. N- now we went from heaven to hell, and we see that there is salvation in Christ alone. Those who are not in Christ will be repaid back, right, and so, and then we're going to keep going for further, and we're going to see that that every master has a master in heaven. And that master in heaven is who is in charge of this repaying back. And uh, I think there, the, we see the judgment is coming upon the unjust and the disobedient. Everyone will be judged based on their deeds because there is no partiality with God. 
It's not like, well, this guy did some really good stuff. He was this, he was the president, or he was this person, or she was this person. There is no partiality with God. All wrongdoers will be repaid. And we see in Romans 2, 11, for God shows no partiality. We see in Ephesians 6, 9, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. God doesn't care your, about your pedigree. God does not care about where you grew up or, or what color your skin is or what, any, what your talents are. No, God doesn't show partiality. He repays the wrongdoers for their deeds. It is, it, I think it is clear that, that there is some understanding here, that there is some vindication even on this side of eternity, but we realize that the th- main thrust of this passage is eternal. It is a word of warning that no matter who you are, slave, free, master, servant, poor or rich, you will be judged by your deeds. But praise God for those who are in Christ have been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That, that we don't have to fear that verse, because that verse is pretty scary. That verse says that all wrongdoers will be repaid, and what is the payment that the Bible says is coming to the wicked and to the wrongdoers? It's eternal punishment in hell. That's a tough word. That's a scary scripture. But praise God, we have a Savior that has taken our sin Yes, we, we still are, we are wrongdoers, wrongdoers and, and without Christ, we would suffer the punishment that we deserve. But praise God, he has taken that. And as believers in Christ, we're, we're trying to do what's right, and we're, trying to be, we're allowing Christ to work through us and to sanctify us, but we live in a world where not everybody's doing that. Right? We, live, we work in a society where not everybody is doing that, and so what's going to happen is wrongdoers are going to wrong us. And so how do we respond to that? Well, Paul says this in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this is such an encouragement to, to us who have been wronged by those in our workplace, by those in our family, by those in our lives that have done horrible things to us no matter what. We tried to do what was right, and not that we're perfect, but we tried to do what was right, but yet there's injustice. And it's like, well, these people get away with stuff a lot of times too, right? And a lot of people that, that are embezzling money or doing this or doing this or, or taking advantage of you, working you horrible hours, taking all the good ones, you know, all those things that were being wronged. What do we see? We see that God will repay. And so our, our, our number one thing is I'm going to get vengeance. I'm going to step up and I'm going to make this right. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to right this wrong myself. Well, my friends, no matter how far you get with that, I can guarantee you it will be very insignificant when you look at eternity. When you look at hell and you compare it to whatever you can do to somebody, it's never going to compare. So, so first off, God's got your back. And, and we see this in Exodus 14, 14, as the Lord talks to Moses. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you, on, you, you have only to be silent. I love, this, I love this verse. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So, so Moses has just led Israel away uh, you know, from, from Egypt, and, and they're, they're running from Pharaoh's army now because Pharaoh's army, uh, they plundered them, and all of a sudden they're like, you know what? This is after the Passover. They're like, you know what? We just lost all of our workers. Like, this is a horrible idea. We're not letting them go. So they go back after him, and Israel, you know, obviously, you know, they've seen all kinds of miracles. They've seen, you know, tons of plague, 10 plagues that have fallen upon Egypt. And what is their response? Oh, yeah, our Lord will fight for us, right? No, no, their response is, Moses, you've brought us out here to die. What is wrong with you? You should have just left us in, in, in Egypt because it was so wonderful there, you know, being whipped and beat and treated horribly. And so Moses is there like, well, what do I do? And, and, and this is what 
God says to him, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And we, we see what happens eventually, right? We see Pharaoh's army coming. We see God split the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and Pharaoh's army is covered up by that water. And we can find comfort in this as well because he is fighting our battles. He fights for our integrity. He fights uh, for, for justice. Yes, there is a time to stand up and act. I'm not saying that we need to just be pacifists. There is a time to stand up and act, but there's also a time to let go and watch God work. He's got your back. Moving on to this last verse, we finally get to masters here. and It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So masters, in our context, we're going to say employers, supervisors, overseers, leaders. They're not the end-all, be-all. The buck doesn't stop with earthly leaders, no matter how high up that you may rank in politics, business, or any other field. There's always someone above you. There is always a CEO above you. There, there, there is always a CEO above the CEO. There's always a king of kings. There is always a Lord of lords, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in which the Scripture says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That includes the, the most heinous of criminals. That includes Satan himself. That includes demons themselves, that they will be forcibly bowed before Christ because he is God. Paul reminds us those who are in charge of others, that they will be responsible to God, that God is in charge of them, and they will give an account. And because of this, we see two charges to those in leadership over others. Number one, leaders should treat those under their authority justly. And the Greek word here is uh, the kios, and it means to treat uprightly. It means to treat others in a righteous manner. Leaders should seek, should seek to do what is right about, by those under them. Uh, they, they should lead in a self-humble uh, humble, uh, self-sacrificial way, not in a way of how can I do the least amount of work and put everything on everyone else. No, it's how can we team up and get this work done. And sometimes that means even stepping above and beyond as a leader. They, can sh they should consider others before themselves. Matthew uh, 20, 25 through 26, Jesus says this, But Jesus called, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, right? So the Gentiles, that was the, the non-Jews or non-believers, and we see that today, right? So, so those who are in authority lord it over those under them. They, they like to make sure that they, they have a, a booming voice, that they stand up higher. You know, the platform's always like up here while everybody else is down there just to let people know where you're at. Like, the, like, just know that you're beneath me because I'm the CEO, I'm the whatever. You know, like that, that's kind of where we're at, and, and our world it has not changed since then. But the Bible says the leaders should not unjustly lead for selfish gain, and they should seek the best for those under their authority, that they should humble themselves because they know that they have an authority that is way higher than them that they're going to answer to. And number two, leaders should treat those under their authority fairly. The Greek word for this is, is esotes, which means fair or with equity. Leaders should not show favoritism. So we talked about uh, the people pleaser and how they can kind of fall into that favoritism thing. Uh, we're not to lead in that way as leaders. We're, we're not to just take people that we have more interest with, that maybe we like them more. I mean, they just have this likable personality. And you get this one, one guy here and this other guy here. But this guy, I mean, he's just so cool. We really like to be around him. Other guy, eh, he's kind of a little weird. Eh, you know. So we're not to show favoritism and say, well, I like this guy more. They're both, you know, this guy may even be a better employee, but, but I like this guy more, so I'm going to give him more. I'm going to make sure he moves up in this company because I want to make sure we keep him. 
we're not to show favoritism, right? J- James actually teaches through this very clearly. We've talked about not showing partiality. Listen to James. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you, sit, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I love how he says with evil thoughts. Like you've placed yourself in a judge over them, and you're treating them based on things that are not outwardly based. Now, I get, I get this. So there are going to be some employees that need more oversight than others. We know that fair does not mean equal. And we teach our, teach our kids that all the time. Just because one of them gets something and the other one doesn't, that doesn't mean it wasn't fair. Because there's differences between each child. Each child may have a different need at a different time. And the same thing goes with employee employers. So as a leader, there are going to be sometimes some employees you have to watch closer. Maybe they're not quite as good. Maybe they need a little help. And so you may have to watch over them a little tighter. Uh, whereas other ones, they may be able to do more without your oversight. There may be some that do deserve that promotion before another one does because of their work ethic. But it should all be based fairly and justly, not just based on whether you like somebody or not or how they look or, or how they dress or anything like that. It needs to be unbiased. It needs to be in righteousness. Employees, supervisors, bosser, bosses, overseers, you honor, and I would say even parents, right? You honor and glorify Christ by the way you treat those under you and under your authority. Christ deserved to be served, right? But instead, he came as a servant to us, and he tells us to go and do likewise. As we come to a close, I pray that we have a better understanding of the importance of work. We work in order to glorify Christ, and we should work hard as if working for the Lord and not for man. We don't, we don't aim to be people pleasers or work for the eye service of man. We should lead others justly and fairly. We should understand that work was not a part of the curse, but was made hard because of the curse. But work is actually a blessing and something we should glorify God with. We're called to continue persevering and work even though it is hard, to continue working hard. And I know some here may have a really difficult work environment, maybe even different, difficult home environment. But just know that even if other people don't see what you're doing, they don't, they, don't, they don't see the hours you're putting in, the hard work that you're putting in, the hard work that you have put in, know that the Lord sees it. Rest and know that he sees everything. He sees your sacrifice. He sees your blood, sweat, and tears. He sees your work. And move forward working through his strength, not your own, because that's the only way you're going to be able to keep going. And just remember that there is a reward and an inheritance that awaits those who are his. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for creating us to work. Help us to glorify you with our work, not to be lazy, uh, but, but to be hard workers for you, to glorify you through our work, no matter what it is, whether it's in the home, whether it's outside the home, uh, whether it's what, you know, whatever we're doing. May we do it all for your glory, not for the glory of ourselves, not for the glory of even other men and women, but for your glory first and foremost. We thank you so much for, for, for uh, letting us gather today. We pray that you are glorified. Senor Osmolani, we pray. Amen.